Should we hit it? Oh, yeah, we have to because I've got a client coming soon. <laughs> ah. Welcome to Salonomics with me, Aaron Dawn, and my best friend, otherwise known as my hair dad, Joe Mehmet. How are you doing, Joe? I'm very well, Aaron. How about you? I'm very well. I'm very well. What do you think of that jingle this week? Um, it's not very Christmassy, was it? No, it wasn't very Christmassy. It was quite, it's quite morbid, morbid actually. And yeah, um, there, is a, there is a reason for that. Why is it because of the football on Sunday? Uh, no, no, let's not go there. Let's not no, go there. No. Um, no, there's a reason because we've had some feedback from some listeners. Have we? Um, yeah, that I wanted to share with you. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So David from North London, he emailed in and he says, wow, you two are a bit gossipy. <laughs> Were we? Well, I don't, I, I don't know. Oh, David, David, David. Yeah, yes. you know David. He, he reckons you was a bit gossipy last yes, week I on think, the show. Yes, yes, he, he, he did reach out to me. We sort of say he didn't. He liked the conversations, but the anecdotes that I did like, you know, with the apprenticeship things and that. But he did like the um, when I was talking about Neville and Daniel, you know, about the um, the the, um, the relationship. But I didn't really think that was gossipy. I thought that was very his historically speaking, very. Um, not factual, but it, it it's was your turn of events, right? It, it was exactly. an eyewitness. It was an eyewitness account. Exactly. So I don't know. I don't really say anything derogatory um, or anything like that, I, I, or gossipy. I just thought like you know, there's two hairdressers who who had the most amazing experiences. Um, but yeah. Anyway, let's not let's not go there. If we, if we gossipy, let's not talk about them. <laughs> um, we also had some feedback from um, uh, a Mrs. Match. From also from North London, which is a coincidence. Um, she she said she enjoyed the show and she concurred with Max's assessment that you are an actual danger to society. <laughs> that wasn't Max. That was Gary with a double R. But that was. Oh. Gary. <laughs> so you saying Mrs. Match is um, incorrect? Well, not incorrect. She just got the names confused. Uh, Max Max was from uh, America. He was, he was talking about sort of. Smoking, being you know, sort of medically, um, you know, sort of saying that it's bad for you. And, and Gary actually sort of saying, health and safety, um, I should put a finger in my socket, uh, I should put my finger into a live um, socket <laughs> because wow. I'm a dangerous society. So, yeah. Well, if uh, anyone wants to go back and listen to some of the um, salacious remarks Joe made last week, then you may do. Um, Salonomics um, has its own podcasting platform there you can find it at anchor.fm forward slash salonomics of course you're listening to us you already know it's there right so anyway um but yeah there was a fourth um uh, sorry there was a third um bit of feedback i got um this is from a uh mr daniels from kensington he says you'll be hearing from my lawyers oh who's mr daniels from uh oh hang on neville Neville, Neville, Neville Daniels. Oh, Neville Daniels. Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't says, exist. They don't he exist. Says, he says you'll be hearing from my lawyers. So what, what you got to say to that? Well, I thought the company was defunct, really. So it, it wasn't a personal attack on anybody. So they can't, they can't sort of like come after me personally, could they? No, I think, I think you're right. 
I think you're right. So, uh... <laughs> so then, um... it's quite interesting that sort of like people are getting engaged though. That's that's the thing. So, we we I mean. I'm not here to offend anybody or uh, upset anybody. Just just give stories about life life as a hairdresser. I mean, hairdressing is not about it's all like a rosy tinted environment. Like, you know, this whole lockdown is is making out to be that we're all this one big happy family that we're all in together. It's not. I mean, it it's a lifestyle, right? Which which only you and the client will engage in. It, it's not a it, it does ex- expand in, into the world of hairdressing. The, the only time hairdressers get together is like the hairdressers of the year awards or the son of the year awards. Or things. The rest of the time, like, they're doing their own thing. Would you not agree? No, I do agree, yeah. Um, hairdressers know how to party, right? So they do yeah. love throwing parties. Um, Salon International is always a, a good one. How do you think hairdressers are going to cope this year without this um, external... Um, you know, projection of their creativity. Do you think some hairdressers are kind of going a bit, you know, stir crazy, not being able to show their talents on stage this year? Well, they did. did. I mean, that was, that was the awards last last week, wasn't there? Which we, um, I must admit, I got I got really a bit tied up with doing other things that I, I didn't sort of get to know the winners as such. But um, I did look at the um, the contestants, the entrance into the, and and there were some really really great. Hairstyles, not 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 that I haven't seen it before, because you know hairstyles is always a variation of of a previous hairstyle, right? So it, you you kind of working on a theme, uh, a variation of the theme, rather than something completely new. So, there, but there were some really great um, images. There was a bit too photoshopped as well. There was an awful lot of Photoshop, but there was one or two that I really did like, and I could sort of see. Um, c- certain sectors of the public wearing wearing these hairstyles. That, yeah, really. Because I, I mean, think, go on. No, I was going to say. Do you, I mean, do you want to send send any congratulations to Sally Brooks for um, you know winning the hairdresser of the oh she won British it, she hairdresser did. of the year. Yeah, twenty twenty. Oh. Sally Brooks. So congratulations to you. Oh, congratulations um, to you too. Yes. Yeah, so. I mean, she joins obviously a um, you know a small band of female winners. Well, I think there's been a lot. That, yeah, I mean, just recently, but um, that, I mean, there's always been a fairly good representative of female hairdressers um, in, in the sectors, haven't there? Maybe not, not so much the British hairdressery, but regionally, there was always been a lot of um, winners as such, wasn't there? I mean, especially in the colouring sector and um, things like that. So, well, the majority well, of our industry, Joe, is is female at the end of yeah, the day. It, it is. I think it's one one industry where I don't think discrimination comes into it really. I really, I really don't. I mean, there there might be sort of like some insensitive people around, but if there is, there shouldn't be hairdressers. That's that's how I see it. Yeah, I think hairdressers are just too busy, right, to get involved in identity politics and all of that malarkey. Yeah. So. Um, you know they're busy with uh, one color developing, and their next client sat in the chair, right? So exactly. And if they, if, if anything, I think there's more jealousy rather than um, uh, any sort of discriminatory factors involved in it. Because you know you, you can sort of, see, I mean, I've experienced it, you experienced it, where you're busy, someone's not busy, and and, and they will sort of create animosity in the staff room, right? Uh, and that kind of more 
morph the fact that they're jealous. There's a, there's a fact that you're not bu- that you're busy. They're not busy, there's, and they can't accept the reasons why that they're not so busy. So they tend to create that animosity as such, but but never never personal really. I don't think. Mm. So why did you never feel compelled to enter awards, Joe? I mean, is there a reason for that? I was too busy. Plus, also, the, the most important person for for me and for any hairdresser is the client. I mean, I don't. I, yeah, I, yeah, I think the proof of the pudding of, of any hairdresser is is the clientele. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's all very well having a, a, you know, sort of like a reputation as a great cutter or great stylist or great creator of things, but if you haven't got a clientele, it means bugger all, in my opinion. Uh, and I, I was more, um, not focused, but I just got involved with so many um, different areas of, of hairdressing. I, I was doing weddings, I was doing haircuts, all abroad. Yeah. So, you know, I had this sort of like the salon clients to look after. I had international clients as well to look after. So no two day was ever the same and, and no two weeks was ever the same because I was being, I was being invited to go to... An awful lot to, to the Middle East, I must admit, you know, Saudi Arabia, Dubai, um, Kuwait. And, and I've been to Italy, I've been to France uh, to do weddings as such and, and to do haircuts as such as well, Spain. So all these things takes takes a lot of your time. And to do to do an entry for uh, the hairdresser year, I think you have to submit four photographs, right? And to get four photographs ready, with the, with a team of people to sort, of, it takes an awful lot of time and preparation, and not so much the money. I couldn't. The money wasn't the factor, but it's to organise all that mm. really. And and it's all very well sort of getting people to do it for you. Then it's not your show, then is it really? Because you have to be, you have to sort of like start the um, the con the concept has to be yours. The execution of, you have to be there, and the finish yeah. you have to be there. And if you're not there entirely, then it's not your real. It's not it's not you at all. So yeah, it's um, a good point. It's a good uh, point. Yeah, the creative process from concept. Have we seen over the years? You know, concept often wins these kind of awards it's not necessarily about the actual overall image how technical it is how creative it is sometimes it can just boil down to the overall overall image based on a concept Um, but i think you bring up an important point you know there is a hell of a lot of time and energy that goes into like building collections um and unless i suppose you've got access to photographers and stylists and makeup artists and those those creative people like that you well, know, it's it's going to take a lot of planning, right? But that's right. Well, you should know because that's that's your expertise, your area of expertise. Yeah, I mean, I was I was lucky really because I was obviously a session hairdresser for over ten years, yeah. and obviously you're creating um, collaborations with different photographers, models, um, stylists, and makeup artists like all year round. Well, um, could you could you sorry to interrupt? Could you actually give us a day of a life of a session hairdresser? um yeah i mean the main the main thing with session hairdressing is no two days are the same you know um what i used to love about it and i think what suited my personality um as being a gemini and you know people having to be aware of both of me um was simply the fact that you know every day was different every day was a different team every day was a new location 
Um, and it was that spontaneity of the career which kept me going for so long, if you know what I mean. It was yeah. it was it was no two days of the same. Um, whereas I started my apprenticeship at Stafford's back in the day, and after six months or so, it did feel like it was the same every day. Do you know what I mean? And and there well, was in a, something... salon, in, a, in a salon. Yeah, in a salon environment. And, that, that, and that's really weird because I never had that. I never yeah. had that. Well for me personally I just felt that when I was working um doing my apprenticeship in the salon, I'd uh, you know I didn't start my apprenticeship till I was 20 and oh. I'd already had four years of office jobs. And I already felt this, you know, every 18 months, two years, I got bored with my office job. Even though it was well paid and, you know, um, it's a I used nine to, to work. Five, isn't it? It's a nine to five job. Exactly. Basically. And it was very, very dull and very boring. And really what opened my eyes up to hairdressing as, um, a, a, you know, a career for me was simply the fact that all of my friends at the time were hairdressers um, and they were all having such an amazing life. It, they were so happy. Um, and I wasn't did, happy in my in my find, career. Did you find that they were slightly exaggerating the their environment or was it actually true? Because one thing I do notice in our industry, mm. which we will touch, there, there is a slight fabrication. Like they, they tend to gloss it rather than um, actually be, be realistic about the industry. Did you did you find that at all when you actually got into it? No, were... not at all. Not at all. I actually saw it with my own eyes. I saw, I mean, listen, I was I was very lucky because obviously I started my career at Stafford's. Yeah. Um so I was literally seeing yeah, I was literally seeing someone like Lee Stafford winning awards. I was seeing AD Phelan winning awards. Yeah. You know, they were talking the talk and they were walking the walk. And for me personally, it was a little bit like wow, you know, if I can't learn something from these guys um, and, you know, change my life, then yeah. I'm missing a great opportunity. So really, um, you know, I had to take my hats off to them. My apprenticeship didn't last long um, at Stafford's, mind you, because within, that? well, because within six, well, because, you know, women get in the way, don't they, mate? You, know? <laughs> you can't say things like that. Right? Well, you know, I can. I oh, can, I see. This is I see in your life, in your life. You have, in my you, life, you're yeah. In my life. Love, yeah. Love, so so oh, I happened to meet my wife at the British oh, Hairdressing Awards in Sorry. November 2000. And we had a bit of a relationship going. And she, what she had met, she had met somebody that she thought was Lee Stafford's accountant purely on the basis that I'd wore a pinstripe suit to this awards, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously uh, the pound dresser. sign. You're a sharp yeah. dresser, sir. I was, yeah, I was trying to impress. I was dressed to impress. But um, but it soon transpired. Once we kind of started our relationship, I dropped a bit of a bombshell on her saying, yeah, no, I'm giving up my um, financial uh, job and I'm going to become an apprentice hairdresser. Of course, um, you know, that was a bit of a shock to a lot of family and a lot of people, you know, age 20. And and I didn't... Can I just... Can I, just I mean, when you were working in the city, mm. what was your salary to to actually going into an apprenticeship? What was the big difference? Uh, well, I mean, I was probably earning twice as much as any other 18, 19-year-old that I was mixing with. In the city? In the city, yeah. Did you find that your friends that you were um, earning 
or keeping up with before. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, right, you were sort of like lagging behind him in, in the salary stakes. Were they still friends or were they, or did you not just part? Yeah, no, I understand you. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got um, a really strong group of friends. So a lot That's of them good. I'm still friendly with today, regardless. But That's yeah, good. no, there, there definitely was an envy. There definitely was an envy because um, obviously um, I had quite a serious illness when I was 18 as well, but that's another story for another day. Um, so I essentially... And that um, was a career-changing career illness, wasn't it? Yes. You know, so it, it is important that people should understand this. Really. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and and obviously that was kind of key to me wanting to change my lifestyle from one of working a lot and earning money to one of being happy and content with what I was doing. Do you know what I mean? Right. And having freedom and creativity. Um, but, you know, like I say, that's another story. But, yeah, no, my friends stayed stayed same, stayed with me. That's good. Um, it, it was just, you know, obviously uh, what I wasn't prepared for was the fact that, you know, going from um, that salary to a hairdressing apprenticeship, um, you know, was quite a huge difference um, in terms of being able to afford stuff. Um, but, you know, I do feel as well... It gave me uh, an incentive, an incentive to achieve and to qualify and to... The, the, the incentive was to to get out of the apprentice yes. position to start earning a lot of money through your hairdressing skills. Basically, yeah. I mean, and, and as well, because I'd seen someone like A.D. Phelan literally in a year went from apprentice to men's British hairdresser of the year. Literally, I think in about 18 months, it was ridiculous. Um, so I saw what was possible. Do you know what I mean? So if Stafford's gave me one thing, it was that ability to dream and yeah. to, you know, aim high. Right. Um, right. And, I mean, you know, that's important, I think, in, in anyone's, you know, initial genesis of their yeah. career. You know, they have to be inspired to, to see what's out there. And yeah, there's, there's something in a sudden environment that they would sort of like just focus on. And, and that would be the reason for them to just turn up to work every day to get to that point that they, they saw. That's the way I would look at it. Yeah, totally. Well, what I find interesting, because I've never really been involved with all this sort of like hairdressing the year awards and things like that, right? Mm. But, okay, you get a reputation and such, but what is the financial rewards from it? I mean, could you, could you explain to the, um, to the viewers... So, I so the whole point in winning awards, right, it's to give yeah. you kudos to the public at large, right? If you win a giant award like the British Hairdressing Awards, for example, yeah. or even one of the smaller ones such as, you know, a regional hairdressing award, um, obviously it gives you that um, moment in the spotlight. Um, and obviously once you become a, a an award-winning anything you have authority to basically talk on a subject. So you're more than likely to going to be published. You're more than likely going to be um, rewarded with kind of, you know, product deals and things like that. But also you'd like to think that the demand for your services will increase because, you know, you're now an award-winning hairdresser. Right. So even though you're investing maybe a few thousand pounds in doing a photo shoot to win an awards you got to think long-term, you know, because taking that step and winning that award essentially should allow you to put your prices up 10, 15, 20, 25%, you know, you name it. Um, uh, so oh, it 
just on a piece of on on a not a, is it a certification? It's it's an award, isn't it? It's a award. It's a it's a yeah. beautiful trophy, and and right. you know you get lots of kudos from your fellow you know from your industry peers. Yeah. Um, you know, I know it's it's an award that is voted for by your industry peers. Um, is and- it because because I would have thought the fellowship of hairdressers. Hmm. Would, who actually is the uh, well, fellowship? Something right. different. Fellowship's oh, okay. different from the BHR. So who, who, who are the judges then? Um, so the the main judges are always previous winners. Ah, okay. So I know Lee Stafford goes down every year to 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 judge the awards. But yeah, so all the previous uh, so um, the, winners. The organizers of the awards, the hairdressers of the year. Who are the organizers then? Uh, well, I guess it's Hairdressers Journal, right? Don't they don't they organise it through you know Schwarzkopf? Yeah, HJ, yeah, Hairdressers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, but that's that's by the by. You know, that's yeah, also to win an award, you've got to put yourself up for an award, right? So you've got yeah. to stick yourself out there and roll with the punches. You've got to um, be in so it to win it. You have got to be in it to win it. And you know, you was asking me earlier about the difference between session hairdressing and obviously salon hairdressing with. Um, with the salon hairdressing, if you go for an awards process, yeah, you know you'll get rejected maybe once a year if you don't win, or if you don't get through to the final. That's one rejection. The other thing that you need to be aware of in session world, you're getting rejected every day because your book goes up against other people in the industry, um, you know, for commercial clients. So you develop a very thick skin working in the session world and if you know if you can't handle rejection or you can't handle things not going your way yeah session industry is probably not going to be for you because it's very 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 competitive i've got to sort of say I mean, that on that part I, I remember sort of working at um yeah sort of neville daniel neville's i've been and we were invited to the um to do hair for the you know fashion weeks Hmm. And my very first one, I kind of remember doing um, a, a show for Thomas Swarovski, or if I can't pronounce his name, surname. Hmm. And while, while I was there, because I, I was the I was the lead of the team type of thing, hmm. and, and and you know we discussed it with the uh, the designer and everything, and what we're going to do all beforehand. Yeah, and, that's called doing the looks, right? Exactly. So. So we had to. So what? Come the day we had backstage, all the models come and it's like, and I'm prepping. I'm telling telling my team to prep up all the models and everything. And and literally five minutes before the show goes to starts, we we get the look ready. You know, brilliant, mm-hmm. right? And then you know, models come up and down. You're titillating um, their hairstyles between. And up to that point, we were the stars, right? Mm. Now, once the show starts, what I found really hard at the beginning of my um, sort of like session um, sort of experiences was that you become a nobody. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And like, okay, what happens now? Because the show starts and you've done your job, basically speaking, right? You know, yeah, that's right. No, there is a definite hierarchy. Yeah, um, so you, you're not needed anymore. So I'm hanging around, right, trying to get some accolade. Yeah. And, oh. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, well done, Joe. It's a fantastic show, Joe. Blah. Whatsoever. Insert thought, violin clip here. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, well, no, but then it took me a while to actually come to terms with this. And, mm. and then, you know, and I must admit, I quite like the experiences. Do your job and then, you know, 
You go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, and it's fashion heyday. How, how did you handle that emotion, Dad? Because it's such an it's such an amazing emotion. Because one minute you're so high, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're coming down. You're not coming down gradually. You're coming down from. That's it. The bulls, the bulls are walking. The walking, walking. That's it. Yeah, it's that- true. Um, I, I obviously. Um, I think seven or eight years traveling um, with Eugene Suleiman and the like um, on his show team. Um, and we would go Milan, Paris, New York, St. Petersburg. We went all over the globe doing shows with Eugene. Um, and I think it was, you know, I think it was a kind of philosophy that we had backstage. You know, the kind of the hair was super important. I was, this is certainly how I looked at it. I can't remember whether this was one of Eugene's sayings or whether this was one of Martin's sayings. Um, who was that like team leader for, for Eugene? Yeah. But backstage, our, our mentality was we're not curing cancer. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because it's very easy to get. Um, swept away in the ego and the wow, look at we're at Alexander McQueen backstage and there's Paul McCartney at the Stella show and there's this part. Do you know what I mean? It's very easy to get swept into that. But you've got to have the most consummate professional head on your shoulders to go, I'm being, I'm here to do a job. And it's, you know, I always had this SAS kind of mentality. You know, you turn up with with your kit, you crack on, you're super professional, and then you get out again. Do you know what I mean? No questions yeah. asked. And, 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 with, the, with, the, with the SAS, no one knows who they are. But they no, that's true. <laughs> well, I suppose that's so, in some respect that's true of session hairdressers because back in the day before Instagram and Facebook and all that, nobody really knew who we were, mate. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And if I wanted to connect the British Hairdressing Awards to session hairdressers someone like eugene i think he won the session hairdresser award eight years in a row he never turned up once do you know what i mean um so why why was why was that did he not approve of the um awards or was it just too busy um i think it was a combination of the both mate to be honest he was probably too busy you know because the session hairdresser you're on planes all the time you're flying here there and everywhere from first show to the next show or to the next shoot is it a lucrative um side of the business yeah, it can be. It certainly can be for the top like 10, 20%. But but like most hairdressing, it's a lifestyle, right? Yeah. Um, you know, people never get into hairdressing because they want to become a millionaire, right? There's many, many more careers that you can look to try and excel at to yeah. become yeah, a millionaire. Yeah, you, could do a mil- you could do a million haircuts, you'll still never be a millionaire, that's right. Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, I think it's it's a mindset thing. Like I say, for my, for me and my personality, I think it worked. I, I, I was fearless. I didn't mind turning up in a strange town, in a strange city, in a strange com- country, you know, off the plane and going to meet everyone, you know, going to meet photographer or being picked up by the stylist or do you know what I mean from the yeah, station? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 um, I get you. But do you find it also it's a it's a more of a young men's game rather than a, a seasoned hairdresser's game? You would think so, right? You would yeah. think so. But the most successful hairdressers or session hairdressers we've got probably in their 50s, mate, and they are still going strong. Really? What, like Eugene Suleiman, Guido? Eugene, Sam- Guido, Sam McKnight. You know, these guys are all smashing it. Um, and, and and unfortunately, it's it's it's, it's like the royal family. There's only a few seats at the table, right? I mean, one of the greatest hairdressers i know, right, I had the pleasure of knowing him briefly, was Thomas McIver. Did, 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 you, um, did you ever come across him? 
No, I didn't. I, I worked with Angelo Seminara for seven right. years. Right. And I know Angelo, Angelo really was somebody that tiptoed that line between session industry and the commercial salon industry. He's done that throughout his career. Um, and he's really taken um, a route that I think is quite unique, you know, because obviously there, there was a definite divide between a session hairdresser is in his own world doing session stuff yeah. and a salon hairdresser is in his own world doing salon stuff. Yeah. Um, Angelo managed to kind of, you know, tread on, on both sides at the it, same it, time. It kind of got, it got a marriage of those two. Yeah. Uh, he was, you know, he was shooting unique, for Vogue, you know, unique. he was shooting for Vogue. And at the same time he was winning British hairdresser of the year awards. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, while, work, while working with full clientele at Trevor Sorby back in the day. So yeah, Angelo really was a, um, you know, a unique um, person in this space, and I, and I saw online actually the other day. He's just opened up his own salon in Ur Urban Retreat. So um, in, in uh, what Harrods? In Harrods, yeah. So um, come and get me, out, please. It's, it's taking over Urban Urban Retreat in Harrods. Urban Retreat. Well, uh, I'm not sure if it's the Harrods one, but it, it, it said Urban Retreat. So is there more wow. than one? So how old is he now then? Um, how old? Hmm. He must be mid to late forties now. Oh, but, um, Angelo, this is a come and get me plea. If you need, <laughs> if you need any digital services, if you need any um, help. Is easily contactable. <laughs> no, no, I'm retired, mate. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, no, that's a, that's a thing that I actually found. I, I, I was pretty. I was I was fantastic behind a chair in a salon. I really I'm glad was. You so. I'm going to get some of your some of your ex clients on next week. To, you know how fantastic you were. I, I, no, I was. Uh, I, I I actually saw like uh, I could look back on that and say I was brilliant on that. Right? I was <laughs> I was okay in fashion shows. I, I really I enjoyed fashion shows, but I was never very good editorial. I really was crap. I mean, you, you, you know yourself, because I employed you to start um, working for me, what, 15 years ago to do my salon um, editorials, really, because I mm. wasn't very good. You know, it, it was a very different skill set again. You know, we talked about the difference between a, a session stylist and a, and a salon stylist. But to do editorials, it was also very different. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, you're right. It's um, it's a complete mind mindset change because... When you're obviously in a salon, client's king, right? You yeah. know, you're, you're, everything you're doing is to appease that client. You know, when you're on set, the model's got to sit there and look beautiful and, you know, you're kind of the boss of what goes on. Yeah, but it's, it's moving, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. In, a, in a salon environment, right, it's moving. Uh, yeah. in, a, in a sort of backstage, it's moving, but editorial, it's, it's more... Yeah, static. in a photographic sense, yeah, you know, you've got still images and yeah. they've got to look great... 360 degrees so the yeah. photographer can get can get their shot so yeah you're absolutely right it is a completely discipline uh, it's a completely different discipline to salon work um and it you know it's one that's super enjoyable and it's one that takes time but i think i think the advantage that you know the next generation has got over us is they're photographing their work all the time mate you know they've got things like instagram now where every day they're taking photographs and they're practicing, they're learning their own composition. Well, but the, um, the thing that I find about the Instagram generation, right, it's always the same look, though. 
okay? Mm. You know, if, if you actually, it's the back of a head, it's it's slightly wavy, you know, tongue, they're slightly coloured, but it's just the same look. It, the only difference really is, is the is the leather pair. But it is the same look. And this is the thing that I actually find, which, which the whole thing wrong about it, right? Because what sells a hairstyle is the front, not the back. I mean, I, I remember, um, and I'm sure you must have seen it as well and experienced it yourself, is that when you when you did a haircut and, it's, and then you finish the whole look right from start to finish, and you get it back, you get the mirror, and you show you show the client the the size, you show the this when you get to the back right you actually move it very quickly <laughs> you know what i mean so like you've got yeah. the back mirror you kind of like look at this you know whoosh that would be within two seconds oh it looks nice but when you actually so got the image of it uh on instagram it is so uninspiring unimaginative yeah but i think that's more to do with the volume you know it's because you're seeing so much that's yeah, same with everything. You know, back in the yeah. day 10 years ago you know you would see your work in a magazine you, you know, sound you like an old man back in the days i remember Listen, <laughs> it's true though you know uh, the only opportunity we got to publish our work was in a magazine that's right that, you know that, of course the internet existed then but you know it wasn't you know it wasn't used in the way that it's used now you know it would take a, a half an hour to download a, a high-res image you know it will take a day to upload a video Oh, and listen, you know. I agree with you, because nothing, nothing nicer to sort of see your name in a, in a magazine, hair by, mm. you know, hair by for so-and-so, so, or mm. hair at so-and-so, so, you know. So yeah. to see your name, right, must have been a good buzz. You know? Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, and, I remember it. I remember my yeah. first published work, or my first cover, I think it was. It was for FHM USA. Really? And, yeah, com coincidentally, I was actually in new york the day it came out um obviously because you wouldn't have access to it in in the uk but yeah it was a photo shoot we did up in the highlands in scotland it was like um, it was a men's shoot it was a really cool shoot it's on my um it's in my portfolio if anyone wants to go and have a look at it arondorn.com is, is your put is your portfolio online yeah yeah it's arondorn.com is that a new um, thing now as well as having your portfolio online no, mate. Uh, I was all. I. I was. I used to actually build people's web portfolios for them back in the day, back in uh, 2003. Uh, I used to build mine, my wife's portfolio. There was a lot of hairdressers that came to me to ask them to make their their online portfolio for them because it wasn't as simple as just uploading an image to Instagram like it is now. You know, you actually needed and, programming and knowledge. And is that how? Uh, is that how sort of companies? looking for potential hairdressers, find their hairdressers that is, is, is that a source of um, information that they're looking for through? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, all you need is an Instagram account these days, don't you? Um, yeah. But I, I, I still think having your own standalone website with your own domain name is real estate that, you know, you own. You know, at the end of the day, with Instagram, you are fighting in a, in a very, very crowded space with lots of noise. You know, when you've got your own bit of digital real estate, such as, you know, your own domain name, that is what is going to put you at the top of the Google. You know, yeah. you type in hairdresser, um, hair, hairdresser near me, your Instagram profile isn't going to come up top. 
Do you know what I mean? It will yeah. be someone that has their own domain name. And as we know, people in purchase mode, they still using Google. You know, they go on the Google to type something they want to buy. They're, they're not yeah. necessarily yeah. going on Instagram to buy stuff or to find out recommend recommendations. Instagram really is a confirmation of your competence, you know, by having your portfolio there. You know, it's obviously not going to work from the point of view of getting you new clients very interesting very interesting bravo well done thank you very much Um, so then, Joe, what's um, got your goat on LinkedIn? It's not so much goat, Rob, but what I noticed that you you actually start you you actually correct made a point about um, there was a, there was a post about landlords helping hairdressers hairdressers out, and, and I, I kind of joined into a conversation, and um, I, I just understand why hairdressers need a landlord to help them solve their their um, business problems really. Because the landlord at the end of the day are businessmen themselves. They can only do so much. If the business is is not surviving because of COVID or whatever, you know, six months rent-free holiday is not going to solve their problem, mm. really. So this sort of, this movement of trying to get landlords to resolve um, a hairdresser's dilemma, a sullen owner's dilemma, I mm. think it's the wrong call, really. Right. Because because um, it's bad enough to sort of see um, landlords being attacked by the government on the on the residential side. Mm. It'd be quite it, quite indicting to sort of see them being attacked on the business side as well because um, it, it's unfair to to sort of like look for um, excuses for failing businesses. Mm. I think. Um, because at the end of the day, a landlord don't, don't want to see an empty property because they still have to pay the rates, they still have to pay business, um, all these kind of t- um, taxes. So they'd sure. rather have an occupied premises than an empty premises. But if a business is failing, they should not seek a landlord um, for a rent reduction or a holiday. They should actually be seen in insolvency agency. I really mm. do believe that. I mean, I, I recommend obviously everyone goes and, and connects with Joe on LinkedIn because he's quite a sight to behold on there. Um, Joe Mehmet, J-O-E-M-E-H-M-E-T. Um, obviously, I'm Aaron Dawn. You can find me everywhere that you've got internet connection. And you can find me through Aaron Dawn. Well, I suppose so. Yeah, that is yeah. true. I've written a new blog. It's up on Go Salon. It's about the big why. It's about why being future-proof is going to be super important come 2021. So I recommend you check that out. GoSalon.uk. Yeah, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Me and Joe obviously quite enjoy doing them. Otherwise, we wouldn't do them. That's our only rule in life, isn't it? we got to enjoy it. Otherwise, we don't do it. Without further ado, thanks for listening, everyone. We hope to speak to you all soon. See you later. Bye-bye.